for this morning is coming from the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. In addition to your own Bible, you can find it on the back side of your message notes, or if you have one of our worship Bibles, it starts on page 807. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the time Christ died for the ungodly, for the one who scarcely died for, the righteous, for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in all that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the word of God. You may be seated. This past Monday, I was invited to join a group of Creekers who decided in the wake of the Las Vegas massacre the night before to gather for an impromptu candlelight vigil at Harold's Corral over here at the porch out the side. And the person who called me uh, said to me, with all that's been going on here lately, the last night, and the strategy's been going, I just need some peace. And I think I want to gather with some others who also are looking for peace. So would you come and maybe uh, sing a song for us or say a prayer for us? And of course, I was honored to be asked and thankful for the invitation. So Kevin and I came and we sang Amazing Grace together uh, there. And I offered a prayer for peace for those who were present. And you could sort of feel around that gathering of people, the peace of God. And I, after I finished praying, the one person uh, said to me, just following, she says, That's, I really needed that. I really needed that. After enjoy, I enjoyed several meaningful conversations with people afterwards, got to know several of them, and I came home incredibly grateful with a feeling of gratefulness that night. I felt grateful that Cape Creekers feel that they can call our church family with, when they want a prayer for peace. I was grateful that that was a feeling that people had. And I was grateful that the gospel of peace is just as relevant and pertinent today as it was, as it ever has been. You see, one of the main reasons we started this church in a saloon in the heart of Cave Creek is because we wanted the heart of our church to beat with the heart of our community. That was really important uh, to us. We believed that just as Jesus moved into our neighborhood in Bethlehem years ago when he was born, so too Jesus' church is supposed to move into the neighborhood and share the joys and the sorrows, the celebrations and the heartbreaks of our neighbors and our friends. And we recognize that for many churches, that's not the opportunity that they have. They're often out there, beyond there. It's as if people feel if you can come to them, but they won't go to you, right? And, uh, and, and so we're grateful that our church seems to have the uh, reputation that it's a, a place you can call. For help. I'm grateful and humbled whenever someone from our community treats us like their family. It's a, it's a holy privilege. And I, I felt that last Monday evening. 
I felt it a few weeks ago when I did a, 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 a funeral service for a Cave Creek family right here at this setting that had called me out of the blue. I felt it numerous times. As I did a, 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 a memorial service over there at the Horny Toad one day not long ago, and I'm just so grateful that within our community, there is, within the Cave Creek community, there is a sense that Church at the Chip is everybody's church. Isn't that the way it ought to be? Everybody's church. And when you come here, you will hear perhaps the truth, but you will hear it packaged in a loving, welcoming, accepting way. And I'm grateful for that. Um, grateful that for that privilege. I'm also grateful, as I said, for the reminder that the Christian message of peace and hope is as relevant and pertinent and needed today as it ever has been. In fact, in many ways, it's even more needed now than it ever has been. You see, when people are suffering or anxious or seeking a solid foundation to make sense of their lives, when the, when the foundation shakes underneath them, when tragedies happen, they're looking, they're looking for something secure cure that they can rely on. Some that tells them, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And, and the question is, will it be okay when everything is not okay around us in our family, in our finances, in our politics, in our world? Will it be okay? And the Christian message is, it'll be okay. And it's not just a bland message, but it's a message grounded in the hope of Jesus Christ, the person who lived and died and rose again. And as he died under the weight of the world's evil and rose again to conquer it victorious, we can know that no matter what happens, as we trust in him and what he did, it will be okay. It's not pie in the sky wishful thinking, but that God will someday remake this world and remake us along with it, and we'll live together, and there will be a glorious future so that no matter what tears we cry, no matter pains we go through, no matter what bad fortunes we experience, there is a point at which everything will begin to make sense. Or as Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10 says, someday God will make everything in heaven and on earth add up under Jesus Christ. Before the computer took care of your checkbook, you had this little book in the back, right? You still reconcile your checkbook? Some of you still do. A lot of you, I know the truth. You have the little book. You don't work it because of the computer. But in the old days, you would get the end of the month, you figure out, you try to make it add up. You try to make everything add up. And the reality is, in this world, sometimes things just don't add up. The wrong people get hurt. The right people seem to get away with everything, right? It just doesn't seem to add up. But the gospel tells us that someday, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, God will sum up everything together, make sure the sums all add up under Jesus Christ. So when people are suffering, they need to have something bonafide, truthful, something they can hang on to in the midst of those troubling times. And I'm so grateful to know that it is the good news of Jesus Christ that gives the ultimate answers for hope and peace in our divided and hurtful world. You know, in a world where the, our message is often treated as, as passe at best or regressive at worst, Christianity's honest and hopeful portrayal of the world as it really is and as it someday will be is a sure foundation to give us strength in the storms of life. It's so important to know that because the Christian message is both honest, as I said, and hopeful. It's honest because it recognizes the brokenness in our world without trivializing it or sugarcoating it. It's honest to say there really is evil in the world. Pantheism can't say that. 
Many religious faiths can't say that there really is evil. In fact, secularism cannot really say there really is evil in the world, only what we describe as evil as a social convention, but no intrinsic evil. But Christianity teaches us, yes, there is, in fact, evil. It's a bad thing, and something's got to be done about it. It's honest about that. It's honest about the brokenness of our world. It doesn't trivialize it. It doesn't sugarcoat it. Because, and in fact, it proclaims that God himself was an innocent sufferer of evil. In fact, the most evil thing that ever happened, the most wrong-headed thing that ever happened in all the history of the world happened when that man died on the tree outside Jerusalem. Jesus suffered under the weight of the world's evil. Christians should never trivialize evil. It's real. It's real. It hurts. It makes us cry. It's honest. The Christian message is honest. But it's also hopeful. Hopeful. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus assures us that evil will not have the last word. It will not have the last word. Someday, every wrong will be righted, every sorrow will be comforted, and death will be no more. Yeah. Yeah. Death be not proud, as some have called thee, right? John Donne. You guys know a great poet from a long time ago. Death be not proud. Death thou shalt be no more. Someday, death itself will die. It's a defeated enemy. It's honest about the realities of evil, but hopeful about the victory over evil, not because we just wish it to be so, but because Jesus died under its weight and rose again over it, conquering sin and death and evil so that ultimately all who would cling on to him will find themselves in his train of victory, conquering evil and experiencing life fresh and anew. Oh, this is such an important message for us to know. Christianity can bear the weight of philosophical speculation. It can. It really, in fact, philosophical speculation finds itself in a dead end when it tries to describe the reality of either good or evil. But Christianity identifies both, and every human heart knows it's there. Every heart knows that some things are right, some things are wrong. And the Christian gospel tells us both what is right and wrong and how it is that God will right every wrong ultimately because of what happens to Jesus. Yes, under, unlike secularism or other religions or philosophical systems of which I can think, Christian hope is not merely wishful thinking. Perhaps this is why people gravitate toward the gospel in times of confusion and despair. When life is hard, People want and deserve and need more than just a wishful, hopeful, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. They want a perspective which gives to them the opportunity to give a decisive no to evil and the decisive yes to the positive future that overcomes it. And that is exactly what the Christian message offers. And no one else can give you that message as profoundly as a Christian message can because it is Christians who believe that God lived here, died here, rose from the dead here to conquer evil here. That's the Christian message. God embraced our humanity by becoming one of us, died under the weight of our world's uh, 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 sin, and rose victorious over it. So Christianity has that to tell, that story to tell. It, uh, they, when, people, when people need something to grab hold of, I encourage you, Grab hold of the Christian gospel. Uh, remember that some of you remember the song, I think it was written during the World War II, in times like these, in times like these, you need a Savior. I, I should never do this, but 
In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is, I didn't know I knew this song. It's just coming back to me. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. I'm very sure, I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Yeah, that's what we need. That's the beauty of the gospel story. You believed it. You didn't know how great it was. You're carrying this treasure in your heart that gives you the ability to say, this is yucky <laughs> when it's bad. You don't have to pretend it's not. You can cry under it. You can say, woe is me, for I am undone. But you can also know that this will not last. Ultimately, Jesus will make it right. The Christian message gives you the chance to be both honest and hopeful, not flippant. You can cry under the weight of the world's evil, but you can rejoice knowing that evil will not have the last word. I think of Gandalf in the first Lord of the Rings movies. He stands there while they're running through the... Running through uh, the... the uh, Mariah, I guess, that, that tunnel, the dwarf tunnel. And he stands before that huge spider, which represents death to me. And he says, you shall not pass. And he will not let that spider come after him. And then Gandalf goes down to the depths because the spider, forgive me for doing this, but I'm doing it. There you go. The spider conquers him. He dies under the weight, but everybody else goes free. And the hobbits and the, 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 the fellowship of the ring on the other side of the mountain, are, uh, are, they, go, they get safe on the other side. And they're despondent because their leader, their magician, the one who had led them, had lost his life, gave his life for them. Only discover in the next book that his death ultimately brought him from being Gandalf the Grey to Gandalf the White as he gave his life. He received new life. What a powerful image by J.R.R. Tolkien, the devout Catholic writer, of the whole idea of how it is that one might give his life for the sake of another. Yeah, yes, we need a perspective which can give us the strength that we need, and that is exactly what the Christian message offers, and that's basically the burden of my song today. I know it's been a tough year. <laughs> it may have been a tough life for you, but it's been a tough year. Last week, a terrible tragedy, unspeakable horror. And in the weeks prior to that, and even perhaps even on this day, uh, natural disasters carving up landscapes, taking lives. What is going on in our world? What is happening among us? And the kinds of things that are divisiveness in our culture. Is there a way through is there a way to find hope? Yes. It's one we cannot do justice to in these few moments other than perhaps give you this inspirational idea with regard to it. But in the wake of the Las Vegas massacre of a week ago and the litany of natural disasters in the past few months, not to mention the frightening divisions and animosities that exist both within our country and in our international affairs, we should take a look at this idea of peace and hope. How do we find peace in a world filled with conflict and destruction? And how do we find hope in a world where everyone dies? How do we find it? Well, we're going to take a look a little uh, briefly, as I've already given you basically uh, the basic idea of it today. 
um, at, this, in this, at this topic in the book of Romans. I thought we'd talk about this today because it's such a subject pertinent to our lives today. By the way, Romans is the next book in what's been a two-year-long survey of the whole Bible. We're making our way through it. And in this book, among other, many other topics in this book, it talks a lot about peace and hope. Consider how the book opens. It says in the seventh verse of the first chapter, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of the book, Romans 15 and verse 13 and other places, as well. May the God of hope fill you all all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the beginning and in the end, a message of peace. And in the middle of it, many sentences such as these in chapter 3 and verse 15 to 18, where, where, God, where, the, where, the, where Paul, who wrote the book of Romans, speaks about how the way the world is out of joint because God has removed... Because people have tried to remove the God who made this world from the picture. It says in chapter 3 and verse 15 and following, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul identified that we live in a peace-deprived uh, uh, world. And in contrast, this in chapter 8 and verse 6, he says, For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And in the context of telling us how to live in the world, it says in the the 12th chapter, if so possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And in the 14th chapter, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification. All of this is in addition, of course, to the text Cheryl read to you already, which says in effect out of the fifth chapter of Romans that now that we have been made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace, and that the result of this is a hope, a hope which gives us the ability to rejoice even in the midst of suffering. There is a peace and a hope which is available because of the Jesus story that can give us strength and hope and peace even in the middle of suffering. So three quick questions while we just kind of think about this idea together. We might ask, first of all, where do we need peace? Oh, my goodness. The better way to ask is, where don't we need peace? We need peace everywhere you can look. We need peace in our world, don't we? We need peace because between international conflicts, conflicts within our own national borders, peace everywhere. People are angry, and uh, uh, there is so much lack of peace in our world. It's overwhelming. Where do we need peace? We need it in our world, and we need it in our world because we need it between ourselves. We, 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 uh, we can't get How many of us are in marriages or in work environments or in neighborhoods where there's just no peace? We're angry. We're angry with one another. We avoid one another. We don't know how to get along with one another. Why can't we just get along, as the famous person said some years ago after the L.A. riots, right? Can't, why can't we all just get along? Why do we need peace? And we'll talk about the second question. Why do we lack it? But where do we need it? We need it in our world. We need it between our relationships. Why is it that there's so much, much of a, a dearth of peace in our world? Well, because ultimately, thirdly, there's, we need peace within ourselves. Do you have anxiety inside your heart? Of course you do, if you're human. We do. 
We don't have a sense of peace and equanimity and serenity within our hearts. We're looking for validation. We're looking for affirmation. We're looking to know that we matter. We, we, we don't know the answers for sure to all these things, so we look for them. We're looking to feel good. We're looking to, to, to do good. We're looking to be a success. All these to prove that we matter. We have anxiety deep within ourselves. Our, 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 we have uh, 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 wars and fightings even within our own hearts. You know that's true, don't you? I know it's true for me. I can think of examples just this past week where certain things happened to me that just destroyed my peace. I could tell you, but yeah, I don't want to embarrass myself any more than I already do. That it's sometimes not very big things, and sometimes they are. But I need peace because I'm anxious often inside my heart. We need peace in our world. We need peace between ourselves. But, and we need peace within ourselves. But all of this is because we need peace with God. We need a peace that comes between us and God. We're searching for something. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And without a sense of true peace... In relationship between us and God, we need someone else to fill that, and therefore we have conflict with others and within ourselves. We need peace with God. At the root of it all is a lack of peace with the God who made us. So think about it this way. We don't have peace in our world because we don't have peace with others. We don't have peace with others because we don't have peace in our hearts. We don't have peace in our hearts because we don't have peace with God. That's why it says, we, uh, uh, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, the wind. Peace with God through our, our Lord Jesus. We don't, have, we, don't, we, we don't have peace in all these Well, why is it that we lack peace? Why do we lack the peace that we so desperately need? What is the reason why we don't have peace in our world? Well, let's back up a little bit and see this great big story we've been looking at because the Bible tells this grand epic story that by now I hope you kind of have an idea that the Bible is not just a collection of stories, of moral stories of how to live your life and how not to live your life. It's not a scientific book. It's not all that sort of thing. It's a, it's a big story about why this world is here and what went wrong and what God is doing to fix it. That's the big story that's going on. And so we look at it, and it's a four-part play, just very briefly, that this is a beautiful creation which has been broken by human rebellion, which God is rescuing by his grace so that he can make new creation out of the brokenness of this creation. It's a four-part story. Beautiful creation, broken creation, rescued creation, and new creation ultimately at the end. Why do we lack peace? Because we have broken God's beautiful creation by our human rebellion. The Bible teaches us that God made this beautiful world. It's a place for, well, DJ did such a great way of talking about it last Sunday, this last Sunday morning. It was a beautiful time. It's a place where his glory would dwell, and we would be his image bearers in the midst of this creation. But we didn't want to be his image bearers. We wanted to bear our own image. We wanted to be our own bosses. And so we kind of pushed God out of the picture. And so it was broken by human rebellion. That's why we lack peace. And so if you remember the Bible story, as soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed God and took the forbidden fruit, what did the Bible say? Their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked. They felt ashamed, and they covered themselves, and they hid from God. And when God questioned about it, they blamed others. 
And we've been doing the same thing. You have in that little story the exact description of what's wrong with our world because we've decided that God is not a worthy, trustworthy source for our life and breath, we now then are, are, are ashamed and looking to cover ourselves and, and hiding out from God. And consequently, everything about our world, even, our cre- even the creation itself was broken by human rebellion. That's why the world heaves sometimes. That's why uh, sometimes there is a violence in this world. It's just everything went cocked cockeyed when when humanity decided that they would not become the loyal stewards of this creation under God's care. And so the Bible says, I hope I have time to say to get to it because in the eighth chapter, that creation itself groans as it awaits its redemption and the revelation of the children of God. Creation someday will be renewed because it is growing like the uh, labor pangs of childbirth until it is remade new. That's in Romans chapter 8. It's on the back of your message notes. You can look at it. Why do we lack peace? Because God's beautiful creation has been broken by human rebellion. And that's what Paul is talking about in the first three chapters of this book, this venerable book, the book of Romans. He's saying the whole world is out of whack. It's all out of joint. It's all mixed up. When I was in high school, I had an injury when I was wrestling where I tore muscles in my shoulder. And um, consequently, I had a problem. A torn, it was actually called a torn labrum. We called it a torn, torn rotator cuff back then, but found out later it was actually a torn labrum. And I didn't have that fixed for about 20 years because I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. It didn't really matter. But it did mean that every so often, my shoulder would separate. It was awful. It happened once when I was sleeping. It happened once when I was trying to discipline my child in the backseat of the car. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Driving down from Prescott through Yarnell. I went back to, ah, you know, oh, dangerous, dangerous. Uh, and, 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 and finally I had that fixed. But when, you're, when, you're, when your bones are out of joint, nothing feels right. Nothing works. And that's what happens in our world. We're all out of joint. And the Apostle Paul in the first three chapters shows us how um, pagan people are out of joint because they, they know that there's a God who made this world, but they refuse to acknowledge him as God. How moral people are out of joint because they think they're better than other people. How religious people are out of joint. How the whole world is stopped before God and judged before God because we are a, 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 a community of people Instead of being uh, a community of shalom and peace, we're a community where everyone's out for their own selves. So there's disharmony. And the first three chapters of Romans tell us that story of how the whole world is broken under the weight of the world's sin. So the next question is, the third one is, well, then how do we find peace? How do we find peace? And that's where this fifth chapter really begins to tell us and summarize some of the things that were talked about in the three chapters before. That, Therefore, since we have been justified with, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified by faith, so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. God talks about the root cause of our problem by giving to us peace with him. How are we justified? By faith in Jesus Christ. In a, in, a, in a nutshell, what does this mean? By his death and resurrection, God has broken the power and, of evil and rescued our beautifully broken world. And through Jesus, God brings new creation 
into our hearts, into our relationships, into our worlds. He brings us back. He resets the bones, if you will. He puts things back together in Jesus as we trust in him. And that's what would happen when my shoulder was separated. When it was out of joint, I'd hang it down like this. It was the only place, only way I felt comfortable hanging was out of joint. Um, and uh, what I had to do then was I had to, and, and it didn't hurt much when I did that, but it's a little hard to live your life like this, right? You understand what I'm saying? And a lot of us are living a life like this. We're walking around, you know, in brokenness. And so what I needed to do uh, was I needed to actually push my shoulder directly into the pain, twisted, right into the place where it hurt. And at the place of that pain, there would ultimately come freedom. And that's what Jesus did for you and me. Jesus came directly into the place of the world's pain. All the evil of all the world was judged there on that day. And Jesus died under the weight of that pain and that evil. And in that then, he reset and broke the power of evil. And he was raised to new life. And then he, through his spirit, distributes new lives, uh, uh, new, his new life to all who will trust him in faith. And he begins to remake this world as the first fruits, it says in the book of Romans, as the first fruits until someday the whole world will be remade. How do we find peace? By believing in that story about Jesus. Yes, by his death and resurrection, he broke the power of evil. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he brought new creation into our hearts and into our relationships and into our world. And so if I didn't have Cheryl read it, but in the eighth chapter, you can see it if you want to look at it. Someday we see that God will renew this world and everything in it. I love these verses. They're really the climax in many ways of, of Paul's argument in the 8th verse, in the 18th, 8th chapter, in the 18th verse. He says, at the end of all this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, it's standing up on tiptoes. Creation saying, will you humans get it right? Stop destroying us. It's waiting until ultimately when we are fully made new, we who trust in Christ. For the creation, it says in verse 20, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth, I remember when we had a baby, I groaned. I was in a lot of pain. That was a joke. I didn't have a baby and I didn't groan. But creation is groaning under the pains of childbirth, under the pain, as, uh, uh, until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our, not our souls, not our spirits, of our what? Our bodies, new Bodies, it's not a disembodied hope we look for, but a re-embodied hope as God makes new what is broken in this world. And he remakes this world, the new heavens and the new earth. For in this, verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. We were saved for this 
hope. And yes, we are the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan because there's still a cancer inside of us. There's still the negative stuff inside us, but it's not going to have the last word. Someday the Spirit will fully remake our bodies. And this broken world, which sometimes falls apart and swallows up people, and it will someday be remade and renewed, is waiting. And, and it's in the pains of childbirth, if you will, as it waits for that day until someday God will remake all the humans in this world and remake this world and the Son of God himself in his resurrection body will live on this earth and we too will have the incorruptible bodies. We groan like during childbirth for the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans as during childbirth from its bondage to corruption. One quick image about this whole childbirth thing. I've been a parent three different times now. And, uh, but you th- the thing is, before that baby came out to this life, it had another life in his, his or her his mother's womb. And that life was only a foretaste of the life which was yet to come. Now, we have a six-month-old grandson, so it's easier for me to imagine this with him than with you and me. But you and I are the same person as well. We spent nine months inside our mother's womb, developing, uh, living a perfectly satisfied and comfortable life, right? But we couldn't stay there forever. And there came a day when we went through much groaning and much pain and what felt like death. We squeezed, you know, am I being bad? I don't mean it that way. I mean it beautifully. We went through a horrific experience that we could never have known what was going to be on the other side. But as soon as we came out, we discovered this is what we were made for. This is what these lungs were for. This is what these hands were for. This is what these eyes were for. We had them all in the mother's womb, but they were useless, right? They made no sense. And so as you as an infant child, birthing child, went through what felt like a death experience, it was really the means by which you experience new life, someday you're going to die. And the people around you love are going to die. And it will feel the same. And you can't know what your future is like any more than a gestational baby can know what his future is like. Cannot know. All you can do is to place your trust in the one who gave his life for you. And when your death comes, it will not usher you into oblivion or anyone like that. that. It will usher you into the presence of God until one day your spirit will be reunited with the body that God has made for you, made somehow out of your old body. I don't know how God does it. There's a mystery in all of this. I can't explain it. I can't explain it to you, except I know that it's true. And you'll have a body like unto Jesus, one which can eat, one which can, one which can make breakfast, one which could walk through do- doors. You'll have that kind of body. You'll have that kind of body. I know you can't see it, but imagine, again, trying to explain the future to a six-month-old baby who's not yet been born in this mother's womb. You can't, they cannot fathom. And what does the Scripture say? I hath not seen, nor ear hath not heard, the things God has prepared for those who love him. You don't know what it's like. You can't imagine it. But that's why you can have hope. Even if you bury someone way too soon. Even if a tragedy happens to your family. Even if you lose everything you own. Even if something terrible happens to you. You can know that the God who died on the cross that day 
died under the weight of every evil and conquered every particular evil and will, in fact, raise up you and all who trust in him to a new life. That's why Romans, I know I'm getting excited, but this is worth getting excited about, don't you think? Am I, are you with me? Okay. Thank you, Steve. I'm glad you're awake. <laughs> yeah. That's why at the end of all of this, it says, um, he asks these four quick questions. He says, well, who can be against us? In chapter 8, verse 1, who can be against us? And the answer is, no one. <laughs> who can bring a charge against us? And the implication is, no one. Or who can condemn us? Verse 34, no one. Who can separate us from God's love? No one. Why? Because Jesus died under the weight of the world's evil. Because Jesus rose to bring new life out of death. And because no matter what, God's love will conquer evil. That's why he can say in verse 37, in all those, in all, uh, so much, it shall tribulate, verse 35, chapter 8, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or massacres, or hurricanes, or earthquakes, he could, whatever list he wants, well, shall these separate us from the love of Christ? He says, no, for your sakes, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Notice, life is hard. Life is hurtful sometimes. But he says in verse 37, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor deem, uh, rulers, neither things present nor things to come, nor powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you can hang your head on that. I guarantee it. You can. You can't hang your head on anything else. My wife and I have been married 37 years. And if our life is like someone in most lives, one of us will stand beside the grave of the other. But that will not be the end. That will not be the end. You see, we can have hope in the midst of every circumstance. And so I just want to invite you, please, trust in this Jesus. Trust in him. He died for your sin, not just the world's sin, he did die for the world's sin, but he died for you. He died your death so that he could give to you his life. He will change your corruptible body someday into an incorruptible body. He will make all things new. And when I get that deep in my soul, that gives me peace because it gives me hope. It doesn't mean I don't cry. It doesn't mean I'm not angry when harmful things happen. It doesn't mean I don't hurt. But we grieve, as the Bible says, not as those who grieve. We grieve, but not without hope. Hope. We can't live without it. Congratulations. God gives it to you. And it's not wishful thinking. It's grounded in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Respond in faith to him. Let's pray as we close. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us hope. Oh, we suffer. Yes, we cry. We sometimes kick and scream. That's okay. But we don't do it without hope. Because we know that the God who loved us and gave himself for us will ultimately right every wrong. 
dry every tear in the new heavens and the new earth. I pray that each of us today would respond in faith to that story, for it's the true story of the world. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.